0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Mark. And before I jump into today's episode, I want to just say welcome to all the new listeners. Um, I'm noticing a bit of an influx in numbers lately, and I can't thank you enough for taking this journey with me. Um, today, I'm super privileged to talk to a super cool guy, Alex Feder, an LA-based guitarist, who currently plays and performs and tours with Enrique Iglesias. He's also played with LP. Um, And he has his own band called Still a Great Nut, who are really cool. You should check them out. I'm not going to blabber on too much. I will, however, say if you are enjoying these, please do me a favor and leave us a rating or review. It helps tremendously. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Alex Fedder. Alex Feder, welcome to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I was um, I was just mentioning before we hit record, but I got hit with, I think, whatever everyone else is getting hit with. So a little bit of a tour flu, but starting to feel human again and very grateful for that.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Not, not the sick part, but amazing that you're feeling grateful. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy, you know. I feel, and I'm sure it's the same for you, but uh, I feel like, and I hate to constantly bring it up because it should be over by now, but I feel like ever since COVID happened, man, everybody I know is just always sick with something all the time. I think, I think that that uh, strand or, or whatever it was, that disease, that illness. It definitely seemed to knock people's immune systems. Because, I mean, I'll tell you, I played on Saturday and Sunday this past week, and everybody's sick all the time. You know, it's it's
1: interestingly, I feel that I used to get sick more before 2020. Like, I would always get hit with at least one sort of brutal, I never got the flu. I actually, this is an ongoing argument with my. very loving but very neurotic Jewish East Coast mother that she always wants me to get the flu shot, and I always tell her I haven't gotten the flu since 2008, so I don't object to back. Let it be known, I want to say this right out clear. Course, I don't yeah. object. I don't object to Western medicine. I'm you know dayquil nightquil all the way as soon as I get sick, and I'm vaxxed <laughs> to the nth degree. But um, yeah, I mean, I just never get the flu shot because I never got the flu, and then I didn't get COVID for like the first. Two years and actually started thinking, man, I must just be one of those people who's not going to get it because I had it and my girlfriend had it, like right with me. My girlfriend had it, I had it, and my father had it, and I just kept not getting it. So I was like, what a miracle! Yeah, of things to be bestowed upon me. This is my superpower. And then I was on tour last year, April U.S. tour, and got oh man, got it real bad. And was holed up in a hotel room and missed, like, I think three shows. I was touring with the RCMP LP at the time. I missed three shows and stayed in a hotel room in North Carolina for, like, a week. Um, and then, I don't know, I, I've been, like, okay since then, I would say. But, but in general, I feel the level of sort of caution and mask wearing and, like, people staying in if they're sick, for me at least, I mean, like, this is the first bad I guess this is the first bad anything that I've had at all since then, but yeah, I don't know. Knock on whatever. Knock on. Dude,
0: yeah, yeah. Like, just keep that attribute. That's a good characteristic to have, you know. All right. Well, we're going to jump straight into this, and um, I mean, obviously, in doing my research and 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 just kind of finding out a bit more about you, I now feel like I know quite a bit about you, but because you know, our listeners might not know about you. Um, Something that I do, and it's become a bit of a signature with the podcast, is I ask my guests, as weird as it is, to give a brief introduction on yourself. So tell the world who Alex Federer is. Tell us a bit about what you've done, not necessarily every detail. Tell us a little bit about you know, just what makes you tick, so that as we go through this interview, people might just get a better idea as to who you are or where you're coming from.
1: Okay. Uh, well, I'll give it. I'll give it as briefly as I. Um, I tend to be wordy. I'll try and be brief. Um, I grew up on the East Coast in the U.S., outside D.C. Um, was went to a small private Jewish school, so not a lot of. Uh, not a lot of music going on i was one of like three people that played anything with any seriousness so i missed out on a lot of the i think some of the formative i did garage bands and stuff but there was no jazz band at my school there was no orchestra at my school there was no sort of um uh formal training of any kind so i taught myself guitar for a long time and then once i realized that i wanted it to be my path i started taking lessons um Towards the end of high school, I ended up going to New York University for jazz performance. I got my butt kicked there and found out that I could not play jazz, apparently. Um, But I do find it intellectually stimulating um, and still enjoy it creatively. But I am not a jazz player by any stretch of the imagination. I formed a rock band my freshman year of college called the XYZ Affair. We like crep, 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 almost made it to something and then didn't. When I was like twenty, let's see, 26, we broke up, started doing solo stuff, ended up, uh, ended up just teaching guitar and super broke, ended up moving to Los Angeles because the relationship I was in at the time, my ex was from LA. I was ready to leave New York. I was tired of eating ramen three meals a day and living with six roommates. and, um, and as I was preparing to move from New York to, uh, from New York to Los Angeles, I got a call from a friend who asked if I wanted to audition for Enrique Iglesias. I had never done really any pop work or any touring work or anything. I ended up getting that audition. I did that gig for seven years. I left in 2017, Um, wasn't sure exactly what I was gonna do, but was ready to move on. Ended up auditioning for an artist named LP. Played with LP until earlier this year, so that was about five and a half years. Um, Currently back on tour with Enrique. Spent most of the summer playing, filling in for a friend of mine named Rod Castro, an amazing guitar player, um, with Natasha Bedingfield. And uh, that's the that's the quick, I don't know how quick that was, but that's the summary.
0: That was fantastic, dude. Fantastic. Um, you know, so, yeah, Natasha Bedingfield... Um, Enrique, LP. I saw that you'd done some work with Ellie Golding, Um, just kind of all over the the board. So you've already had quite the career as a guitarist slash musician. Tell us what initially drew you to guitar and music.
1: The same thing that still draws me, which I will say is sort of... um, It ends up being a battle in the pop world because, let it be known, first and foremost, I love those artists and have tremendous respect for those artists. But the things that I came up on were like classic rock stuff neil young was and is my favorite guitar player not the showiest of guitar players not the most sort of like if you're looking for a pop guitar solo with a pop artist you're probably not going to like a super overdriven fender tweed you know gibson through a fender tweed um neil young solo um but there's a certain sound of there's a certain electric guitar sound that just when i hear it Still, I've been playing now for thirty, almost thirty years, and I still it like just gives me a feeling, and it still motivates me. And I honestly just like people who make. Am I allowed to curse on this?
0: You can say whatever the fuck you want.
1: <laughs> okay, I like people who make shit because they care about making shit, which is to say that like I like that Andre three thousand, world-renowned hip hop artist just chose to release his first solo record and just have it be an experimental flute record. Do I give a shit about the album? Not at all. Did I listen to it past the first, you know, like 10 minutes? No. And I probably won't. But the fact that he just like, this is what came out and this is what I choose to make. I think that's really awesome. I was just listening. One of my bandmates turned me on to Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead um, and an Israeli artist to God, I can't remember his name now. Um, something Ben Sur. They, they, produced this record of like sort of modernized Indian ragas. Um, wow. and I'm just like, that to me is really inspiring stuff that somebody who is actually like, that's not going to make Johnny Greenwood any money. He's not doing yeah. that for commercial appeal. He's doing it because he gives a shit and he likes music and he liked this. And he was like, I want to make this. So he makes it same thing. Damon Albarn from blur a bunch of years ago, maybe actually only a couple years ago, Release a record with, I think, the Finnish um, Symphony Orchestra, or maybe the Icelandic Symphony Orchestra. And he just, he's like, same thing, you made a record. Like, is that gonna do anything near what a blur record would do? Absolutely not. But that's what he wanted to make. So I genuinely have always appreciated people who do stuff because they care about it. I love a well crafted pop song and a well crafted melody just as much as the next guy. But the thing that inspired me when I was an idealistic kid is the same thing that as an old, old gray man (laughs) still inspires me. Um, I like people who who care about making music. Like I love music and I like people who care about making music. Whether it's my cup of tea or not is irrelevant. I just – that type of thing inspires me.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer because I find that, you know, for for myself as well, it's like I feel like if you've spent enough time listening – and and whether you want to call it critically listening or, or not i i feel like you can really tell when somebody's put care into something you know there's there's obviously the hits and 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 i'm i'm stereotyping because not all the hits are just factory produced but you can tell the difference between I, I feel like I can, maybe, maybe listeners just think I'm full of shit, but, but I feel like you can tell the difference between someone who cared about creating some kind of arts versus somebody who just followed a formula because that's the formula and, you know, put a million dollar PR budget behind it to make a hit. You know,
1: I agree. I think even within, within pop music, I mean, I went to go see the Taylor Swift show. I split my time Los Angeles and Mexico City. So I work out of Los Angeles and I end up spending a bunch of time there. But LA is crazy expensive these days. And my girlfriend lives in Mexico City. It's an awesome town. So I end up splitting my time um, pretty evenly. But when Taylor Swift came through Mexico City, we went to go see the show. And I was like, that is as pop as pop show guys. It's not sort of um like challenging, it's not left of center, there's nothing weird about it at all. But the amount of care that it's so evident. That she puts in was you just had to leave and be impressed whether you like her music or not whether you yeah whether it's a specific thing you care for or not i would be floored if anybody could leave that show and not be impressed with the amount of care and the amount of thought and the amount of work that put in because i've played in shows and i've been to shows where like you don't need to do all that much you don't need to have a different set and costume and massive HD background and all this stuff for every single album that you're cycling through. You don't have to. She pulls a different, like, random song from her catalog to do an acoustic portion of the song, uh, the show every night. You don't have to do that stuff. You can play the same show every night. You can have it be one extravagant set piece and people will still be blown away. But to go, no, I care a lot about this and I want to give everyone that next level of show. It's impressive. It was, it was one of the most impressive, if not the most impressive shows I've ever seen. And, and I'm not thrifty, but I was like, man, put on you. That was incredible. Truly incredible.
0: Yeah, dude, she's super inspiring. You got to give that girl some credits. Um, let's talk a little bit about the moments or the situation, if you want to say that, um, that made you sort of realize or believe that you could make music your career
1: oh that's interesting i'm gonna bunch it in with the same moment that i knew i wanted to do music for my life because i'm not sure i ever separated those two for better or for worse since i was 13 it didn't occur to me that i would do anything else i don't know if that's naive or um if it's some sort of power of manifestation and you know la speak these days but um there was never anything else I wanted to do, and there was I never had a plan B. I never was like, I'm going to go to school and major in music, but a minor in accounting or anything. I just thought, I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to do. And the moment that I realized it was playing drums in my uh, seventh grade cover band. We used to sort of bulldoze our way into playing in our friend's bar mitzvahs. Like, they would have a regular proper band, and we'd go, like, hey, man, can we play a song? And for some reason, a few of them said yes. And I distinctly remember we were playing at my my friend's bar mitzvah with his guitar teacher, and we were playing Sunshine of Your Love by Cream, and I was playing drums. And I remember just, like, looking out at the crowd and and thinking we sounded awesome. I feel confident we did not sound awesome. We probably sounded absolutely terrible. But in my head, I just remember that feeling, and that was it. I don't think it has ever occurred to me for one moment that I'd do anything other than music after that. So that's not the most practical answer, because there probably should have come a practical point where I thought, okay, how am I going to make the logistics of this work? How am I actually going to earn a living? But, you know, same thing when I graduated college, my advisor said to me, "Okay, so what's your plan? Because they're training professional musicians. He wants to know You know, are you going to be in an event band on the weekends and then you're going to do sessions during the week? Like, what's your plan? And I said, I'm going to be in my band, you know, like I'm going to just be a rock star. And he said, which is a very funny thing for an advisor of a music program to reply to a kid, he said, Okay, and what happens when you turn 30 and that hasn't worked out? And I just said, I don't know what you're talking about. That was it. Um, So in the end, that plan didn't work out, but uh, I've long past 30 and I'm making a living playing music so maybe it helped to be that naive because I think as a, otherwise it's pretty easy to get dejected by the various ups and downs of the music industry so it, pr- it probably helped to me in the long run that I had a pretty singular focus and that it just didn't occur to me that I was going to do anything else
0: yeah i actually love that it's it's and i don't mean it in an offensive way but like almost like just having that that blind ignorance but the beauty of youth as well right i mean like like i think back about some of the things and some of the decisions i made and i don't regret any of them i feel like life helps make you who you are you know but i also i I love the fact that like thinking back as an older man i go man what was i thinking with some of this stuff but but at the time it seemed like a great idea (laughs) you know (laughs) Um, Well, that's interesting because I was going to then ask, once that that decision possibly became clear, what was your strategy? But you pretty much just told me. So let's talk a little bit about that band. Um, What did the band try and do before you maybe realized that that band possibly was going to have to be the, you know, the, I don't know, the enjoyment part of music for you versus maybe the money-making? I don't know. Was that band making you a salary?
1: No, certainly not. No, I was teaching guitar. I mean, my first couple years out of college, I worked at a chocolate stop, uh, chocolate shop in Soho, New York. And then after that, I was teaching guitar and, like, living very hand-to-mouth. I, I literally—we lived in a four-bedroom apartment for the most part during the band. Th- these were, honestly, the greatest years of my life. I made no money. Nobody gave a shit about me. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like things were going swimmingly well. We used to tour— with just like the four of us in a van and, and we'd have no place to stay. And we'd say on the microphone, Hey, we don't have any place to stay. We're in Fort Wayne, Indiana or whatever. We don't have any place to stay. Can we crash on someone's floor? And some person would let us stay on their floor for some reason. It was a beautiful time to be alive, But um, but I don't think I would recommend that for either musicians or for fans these days, but maybe, you know, maybe if you're like 23, maybe it's still the same. Maybe it's still like just as, simple and beautiful as it was back when back in my day. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I was certainly not making a living at all. We were really lucky to break even. Um, I mean, I needed to ask for help from my parents all the time in those years. They bought us our van. I think they like paid for most of, uh, the band's album or whatever. And we did get to that sort of almost like almost doing it point. um, But, yeah, I mean, I think that it turned into a thing. What happened creatively for me was when we made our first record, which was for no label, nobody cared, no management, nobody was coming to our shows except for our 10 friends. Um, We made it because we cared, sort of like I talked about before. It was like I wasn't making songs that I thought were going to be big. And then... We had this funny music video, which in two thousand and seven was like kind of breaking because it was early on in the YouTube days. So this was still a thing when you could make a small video and it could be like viral, and that meant something. Um, but we got a bunch of '90s Nickelodeon TV stars to be in our video, and it was uh, and like I don't know if you watched Nickelodeon in the '90s, but we had like the guy from Double Dare, and at the end he like threw slime on us. And it was a whole for like people my age, I'm 41 years old, for people my age, which was the sort of general audience we were appealing to, it was a big deal. And we seriously went from nobody gives a shit to overnight. It was like the important music blogs at the time, which was like Stereo Gum and Brooklyn Vegan, Consequence of Sound. Like they started writing about us. And and our next show, which was at the Mercury Lounge, I still remember there was like a line around the block, which It's only a 250-person venue, but to go from nothing to lying around the block of strangers who I didn't know, I was like, oh, my God, we're really doing it. And then we started playing the Bowery Ballroom, which is the next level up from that. That's like a 500-ish person venue, I think. Um, And things were going great. And we were getting the whole like sort of like this label and this management company and this music lawyer. And I got in my head about it. And the songs I started writing at that point were me thinking like, what would appease these people, what did they like about our album, and how can I sort of capitalize on that and make something that feels more like that, like a bigger version of that. And I wrote the worst music I've ever written in my life, probably. Um, I just was thinking really hard about what would take us to the next level instead of just, this is my band and I like making music, which is what worked for us in the first place. And so it took a kind of a couple of years the label people sort of petered off, the managers sort of petered off, and that was it. And it got to the point where I was so dejected and so thinking so much about, like, what am I supposed to do now that I took a year and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do music at all anymore. I was just like, all right, I gave it a shot. And the band didn't work. And I don't even like this anymore. Like, I'm only thinking about writing songs for the sake of finding a career and finding success, which didn't ever feel like where I wanted to be. And I took a year off and wasn't sure what I was gonna do. Started working on some solo music. And my intention when I, um, I wanted to move to Los Angeles, do this solo project I'd been working on, um, also probably for the wrong reasons. Like I think I was thinking very marketing heavy at the time. Um, and same thing, when I look back at the music that I wrote, I don't feel particularly proud of it. Whereas the music that I wrote much later, when I stopped caring about the business part and the music that I wrote before, when I stopped caring about the business part, I feel tremendously proud of and can still listen to all the time. And I'm like, wow, I did a good job. Um, and then right before I moved to LA, as I mentioned, I got the call to audition for Enrique. I really thought, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a great launch pad for my own music. I, I didn't really understand how sort of compartmentalized the industry is at that level. At least my experience of doing a pop gig is a a pop gig at the level of Enrique, where he's so separate from the band and the sort of machinations of the touring thing um, is no, nobody cares about me beyond me being um, guitar guy, you know, which is great. I earn a great living and it's a really cool opportunity. I get to play guitar in front of people and get paid for it which is a pretty not that many people in the world get to do that you know and I'm aware of that but I spent a lot of time in those early years being frustrated because I was like I want to meet whatever label person and pass them my demo and use this as a launching off platform and that was not going to happen and the fact is as you said when you said I don't you know have any regrets or wouldn't rewrite anything I feel exactly the same I don't think fame and I would have gotten along very well. And I feel very grateful to be in the position I'm in instead of the position I thought I wanted to be in from the time I was a 13 year old child. But, um, yeah, that was, it, it wasn't until honestly the last four years or something that I was like, I don't think I care about doing my own music for a living. I enjoy making music. I really enjoy making music. I enjoy writing. I enjoy recording. Um, I, I don't want to not by the way, not that I have labels beating down my door that I'm turning down recording contracts. But regardless, it it, it has no appeal to me. So sort of professionally now, I feel much more settled in the idea of I love playing guitar. I love playing guitar. I love making music. Those two things are almost completely unrelated. This is my hobby that gives me a ton of joy. And playing guitar is the thing that I continue to pursue. I want to improve at it. I wanna, you know, get new gigs, better gigs, different gigs, you know, whatever it is. That that has tremendous appeal to me. And I wanna continue making music because I continue to love music. But there's almost no circumstances under which if you are like, we're gonna hand you the career of your you know childhood dreams um, as a solo musician. Man, I just value going and sitting at a coffee shop without being bothered too much. And I've seen firsthand what it's like to be a famous person. And this is not for me. I get to watch it and it's like, whoa, that seems like an absolute nightmare. And I'm glad that I got to watch it from here so that I could see what it would be like over here before actually just being thrust into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite an interesting outlook. Yeah, I suppose... And, and I'm blanking on his name, but that's where the guy who co-wrote all the hits with Elton John really had a great laugh. Very common, yeah. You know, it's like he can walk down the street to his local supermarket and I'm sure no one bats an eyelid, but he still made all his money and probably had a great laugh, you know?
1: The dream gigs that I always say are to be like, um, like the guitar player in Coldplay or like the drummer in Maroon 5 or whatever, that, like, I, I'm, you know, I, I know music people will know who they are and their they're real fans will know who they are, but the point is, by and large, you could be the guitar player of Coldplay, put on a regular-ass outfit, nobody has any clue who you are, and then, and I say this as a good thing, I hope, yeah. Mr. Guitar Player of Coldplay, I hope you don't get offended at this, but, uh, but to me, that's an incredible thing, that he gets to make music, he gets to play his music in front of like millions of people over the course of a year who love his music. And then he gets to lead his life. Whereas Chris Martin is stuck being Chris Martin. And I'm sure there's a lot of great things about being Chris Martin, but it's not the life that I would choose for myself today. And so I think that guys who get to be in bands that are making the music they want to make, because people often ask, I don't know if you get asked this, but people often ask, what's it like to be on stage in front of X amount of people and truth be told, I'm like, I enjoy it. It's super fun. But I think it would be very different if it were my band. And you're watching 50,000 people sing back your song that you created that means something to them. I haven't really had that experience. Um, so I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But it's not the sort of chill-inducing um, thing of passion that I think it would be if I were in Coldplay playing my music. Then the trade-off is you have to find some perfect scenario where you get to be that and anonymous all at the same time, which is not very common.
0: Yeah, dude, completely. Um, so, you know, I know you mentioned the audition for Enrique. Um, and, you know, I've kind of skipped a couple points here because… I, from a logistical point of view, was thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe this happened, then this potentially happened, then this happened, maybe this plan worked to this, okay? Now, obviously, we've established that that wasn't necessarily the case. So this next question might be a little redundant, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and let's just see what happens. So if you could potentially, you know, give some tips or advice or, or mentor up-and-coming musicians with aspirations of trying to maybe get into these touring kind of level gigs like you're doing. What are some of the things you would potentially tell them?
1: Not the things that they think. <clears throat> um, you obviously have to be good enough to play gigs, right? So, like, you know, do all your homework, practice for the years that we're supposed to be practicing, have professional gear, you know, don't show up. That, that's the sort of obvious stuff there are a ton of guys out there who check those points who probably don't work and maybe never will work. Um, Because a large part of this is except for the hour that I'm on stage with my bandmates, the rest of it is me having to be a person who people are happy to spend time sitting in a small dressing room for eight hours at a time with, or sitting crammed onto a bus. So, I don't know how to say be a normal person, but that is the answer to the question. And it, it's not, it's, it's, I think it's actually in some ways a lot harder than practice the guitar, you know? Cause like, how, how do you tell someone be like, yeah, just be cool to hang out with. But the fact is I started with the Enrique gig because the, the real, the broad thing that I'll say that is very doable is say yes, say yes to things, even things that seem like they will be important, things that seem like they won't matter, the, a, a lot of the stuff that has come about in my, the things that have worked for me in my touring career have been a result of when I was in my band, I was looking for just something fun to do. I was living in Brooklyn at the time and I saw an ad on Craigslist musicians looking for a guitar player for a band. It was this band out of Boston called Harriet Street. They were sort of like arena, like, yeah, Coldplay, Jeff Buckley kind of thing and um, I auditioned I ended up doing it the band didn't do anything cool dudes really nice songs um, but the band did absolutely nothing the guy who was the drummer in that band is one of my best friends to this day I just saw him last week um, he came to the Enrique show we played at uh, Staples Center which I guess is now called Crypto.com Arena um, his name's Sarab Singh he is an incredible drummer he's currently playing in a band called Muna um, who are awesome but I got the Enrique audition because I just clicked with him and we became friends. And so a handful of years after I did that band Harriet Street, he was the one who called me and said, hey, would you want to do this audition? Because my friend and my friend heard about the Enrique thing. So I do the Enrique audition, which only happened as a result of me knowing and being friends with this guy through a Craigslist ad that by all logic, you know, like that band didn't do anything. Most people might go, "Well, they're not going to pay me and they're not big and they're not signed and they're not whatever. So why should I do this? But the point is you never know when you say yes to a gig who, which one friend you're going to, one friendship you're going to form one friend you're going to meet that then is going to lead to 10 years later, that guy's doing something cool and you're his friend and people want to be surrounded by their friends. I will recommend a friend for a gig over a rando any day of the week because If I see you on Instagram and you're playing your butt off, I have no idea if you're the type of jackass who's going to sit and watch videos out loud on your phone when everyone's surrounding you on the bus. You know, like, are you going to be the kind of person who, you know, again, like is sitting and having like out loud speakerphone calls in a dressing room when we're all stuck there and we have nowhere to go or whatever it is, who's bringing 15 guests backstage who are drinking all the booze and everything. Like, are you that guy? I have no idea based on your Instagram reel. I do know that if you and I have spent time hanging out and I know what kind of person you are. So, and by the way, I'm not saying, you know, nobody's perfect. And I've had plenty of friends on tour who've come to me and said, you know, the way that you showed up in this way or that way wasn't cool. But the nice thing about real relationships is in every case that I've brought something to someone, every case they've brought something to me, I am interested in being a better tour mate, a better bandmate and a better friend. So if I show up and I'm being a jackass and my friend lets me know, I wanna hear it, you know? Let me know so I don't show up that way in the future. Um, and that that to me is the sort of key to an ongoing touring dynamic. Is like, are you a person who's interested in being a considerate friend, a considerate bandmate? Um, and are you fun to hang out with, you know? Do we like the same kind of music, movies and stuff? Or did you spend every waking hour of your life Practicing your Zach Wild licks in your bed, which like, cool. That sounds great on stage, but you know, I'm probably not going to call you for anything. So, yeah, that that honestly is the is the more complicated answer that I'm I'm sure you hear a lot, but such a small fraction of it is the playing part, um, which obviously is of the utmost importance. But once you pass that threshold, there's like you know thousands of guys who can play the part on the gig. But the question is like. Are you going to show up? Are you going to be cool under pressure? And are you going to be somebody who people want to spend time crammed into a small room when none of you have had any sleep and blah, 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 blah.
0: I love the, the phone speaker thing because I sometimes feel that like maybe I'm just too, um, uh, what would you call it, like wound up or tight or tied to something. Because sometimes in those situations, I, uh, dude, it drives me nuts, like just like, put your headphones in or or, or or something, you know, like read the captions. Most of the videos have, have subtitles now too. Um, I watch many videos where I'm just reading the, the subtitles versus actually listening to the audio. Like why, why am I the only person who does this? <laughs> you
1: know. I did. A, um, I did. I got to send you this, this just minute long Instagram thing that I did. That was, it was about exactly that. No, listen, I think that there are probably two types of people as well. There is probably some age, cut off, right, where people don't care because they're so used to the sound of it. it. It drives me nuts. And I think it's absolutely sociopathic that people think that it's normal for, especially if you think about like what most people are watching is like their reels or their Instagram stories. So it's like, you're catching just like one second of something and then one second of something. As it and like, I don't need to hear that. It's crazy. And the frequency of, it like cuts right through even AirPods. So yes. I have my AirPods in and I can still hear your phone cutting right through it. No, I think it's completely sociopathic. And we actually have an ongoing joke because um, <laughs> one of the members of the Enrique band, like when she when she first joined, she did that all the time. And so we just gave her endless shit, which I think is socially the, the just thing to do. I think you absolutely
0: should shame these people into submission. And also, you know, by seeing how they react to that—not not not to, not to endorse bullying—but <laughs> by seeing how people react to that is also another way to get to see if this person is somebody you want to be in a van with for six months. You know. Yeah. Hey, listen, I love the fact that you still put out your own music um, with still a great nuts. I checked out quite a lot of that stuff. It's very cool. Um, now you briefly touched on it how how you've been like a hired gun is like one thing and you being an artist is a whole nother. And and I don't want to stereotype here. I feel like I'm going to. But I find that so many guys, once they get into the, whether you want to call it a hired gun thing, a touring situation thing, a back-end musician thing, a lot of them, even if they were doing their own music or arts in, in the start, they seem to put that on the back burner. Or totally neglected and they just become that. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. But if you would, um, talk to me about a couple things here. Talk to me about your creative process within your own music. And if possible, tell me how you find the time or try just in general juggle your own creative aspirations, which you know we've briefly touched on, versus a touring schedule with some of the sort of touring legs that you have.
1: Yeah. Um, you're not you're not wrong about people tending to put it on the back burner. I guess I can't speak for people. I can speak for myself. Um, when you have nothing and you're not making any money and you only have like a quote-unquote day job and then your artistic pursuits, I think that there is a much stronger motivation. Once you know, the first time I ever made any sort of real salary was with Enrique. And, um, it feels different, you know, and it also feels different. I think when I was 23, I just did not care about money. It wasn't important to me. If you asked where it was on my list of priorities, it would have showed up number 850. You know, it just, it didn't matter to me. It wasn't something I thought about. Um, and and it wasn't something I would have ever prioritized in terms of life choices. Like if you were to say like, hey, if you wrote this kind of music, you'd have a way better chance of making a lot of money than the kind of music you're writing. I'd be like, "Yeah, I don't give a shit about that. You know, punk rock forever. Or like some, you know, stupid. Yeah, maybe not stupid. Maybe a beautiful, young, idealistic um, viewpoint. Once you start making money and you realize that it is nice to not be broke, I think that as you get older and as you sort of continue down that path it becomes more important to you to not be broke ever again um and it's much harder to make a real living on artistic pursuits than it is on sort of focusing on the more commercial things which is it doesn't take it takes a certain type of creativity but a very different and frankly much more limited type of creativity to do what i do as a hired gun than it does to create music um, I think it ends up being a natural progression with age. And I think it ends up being a natural progression once you start making a living. Um, I do find it difficult. Like I haven't released a still a great night song in a year and two months now, which is the first time, by the way, I started writing, I started playing the guitar, writing songs. Like the first song that I learned was I learned an E minor, a G and a D And I wrote a song for my girlfriend in seventh grade who was moving away. You know, that was smooth. Yeah, thank thank you. Um, I I wish I could remember it. There there have been various periods where I was like, oh, I can remember some portion of the song, but then it goes away, as it should. It should be gone forever. Um, That was the only thing that I cared about doing. And in fact, I remember a distinct moment when I was living in New York and studying jazz under my, this te- the te- my teacher was named Morty Ferber, this Israeli guitar player, it was incredible, like mind-blowingly great at the guitar. And, um, and I was on the subway and this guy played this really beautiful, um, like, I-, I don't remember what it was, but it was like a bossa and it was a full like, you know, chord melody, solo guitar arrangement on the nylon string guitar it's on the subway. No one gave a shit. This guy sounded great and nobody cared. And then somebody requested that he play My Girl, and he played My Girl, all three chords of it or whatever, and he got a standing ovation, and people gave him money. And that sort of solidified for me at that time, that I was like, the thing I care about is writing songs. Because what this guy just did when he played My Girl is something that somebody who's been playing the guitar for literally two or three weeks could have pulled off, whereas the other thing takes years and years of practice, and people just didn't care about it. And so the artistic part... Creating a song that feels important, that will outlive you, that means more than what you meant it to mean, that will reach more than the amount of people that you can play it in front of directly, Um, that felt more important to me at the time. And does it still? I have no idea. The funny thing is now, I think a lot of my ideals and dreams, they sort of remain intact, but my main pursuit is uh just making sure that i'm happy day to day as silly and unrelated to music as that might sound but i spent a lot of time like i mentioned those first years of the enrique thing being bitter i'm playing the guitar in front of tens of thousands of people who are thrilled i'm making a decent living doing it i'm seeing countries all over the world being flown comfortably staying in comfortable hotels I'm not staying on the floor of a Super 8 motel or crashing on strangers' floors. I'm not driving in a van, you know, all four of us having to drive overnight or whatever. I am comfortably traveling to places that most people in the world will never get to see, playing in venues, that most people will be lucky to go see a show, let alone go play a show. And the only thing I can focus on is how pissed off I am that I'm not the guy whose name is on the billboard and I'm not the guy whose you know name people are shouting and that it's not me getting to make the big expensive music videos and that if you want to ask like any regret I have that was the one regret that I spent that time just focusing on the wrong thing the wrong thing my main goal now which with varying degrees of success, by the way, because there are plenty of times on tour that I'm the guy who's bitching because why is our lobby called this early and blah, 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 blah. It's easy to fall into the traps of touring and yeah, fall victim to the various sort of like, I, I want to get our laundry done. Why didn't our tour manager take care of it? You know, like little baby stuff that I laughed at when I first witnessed the Enrique touring environment. And I was like, you guys have no idea what it's like to be on your own and do this on your own. Um, that's me now. Happy, happy or not happy to say, but um, it is most important for me to realize that uh, I'm just tremendously, tremendously fortunate. Because did I practice a lot to get here? Yes, I did. Did I, you know, meet a lot of people and have I worked on trying to be a considerate human being who uses headphones when I use my phone? Yes, I have. But there are, there are dude, there are millions of people out there who could do it. There are millions of people, and I just happened to lock into these spots. And I'm very aware of that. So I still feel that it's important. And and like one of my main goals next year is I have this project with my girlfriend and two, music, two other musicians here in Mexico City. And when we get together, it's awesome. We We throw everything at the wall and whatever sticks. And there's no preciousness about it. And there's no like, well, I imagine the bridge going like this. And there's no thoughts of what's going to make us the most money. It's just getting together in a studio, cranking out ideas. And I think it's wonderful. It's fun. I think it has yielded some really cool stuff. I can't wait to get like that kind of stuff with that sort of creative freedom in front of an audience. It is really important for me to do more creative things. Cause like I said, for the last year and a half, I've focused much more on guitar and the guitar end of things. And that's brought me a lot of joy, but I definitely feel the gap of having not done the other stuff so I guess, I mean, this was a really long answer to the question, but I, it is tough to keep motivated and it is tough to keep at um, this sort of creative pursuit of things when day to day it's easy to fall into the sort of like you wake up, you go to the gym, you eat breakfast, you go to the venue, you do your sound check, you go have dinner, at catering, you go play the show, you go to sleep, you get on the bus, you do the whole thing again. It's very easy. And I don't find that to be the most um, creatively enriching environment in terms of making, making new music. So I do want to get back to it because I don't know. There were a lot of records that came out this year that I thought were really cool. That inspired me. Um, My girlfriend has been in a band in Mexico city called Ruido Rosa forever. That's inspiring to me. It's just like, cool. Like I said, I'm still inspired by people doing things because they care. And I'm like, I'd like to dip my toe back in because that used to be my main motivational factor. Um, But more importantly than anything else, is to not get bogged down in what bogged me down before, which was this sort of just negative, like, it should have been this, and if I had this opportunity, I would whatever. Like, I go to a city now, I look up whatever the best coffee shop in the city is, I go sit in that coffee shop for three hours and read a book, I go do my sound check, I go play my show, my life is, I I genuinely feel really fortunate And it's no different than it was 10 years ago when I was busy bitching that, you know, it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. So more than any creative thing, that's my focus. And then after that, it will be nice to start making music again.
0: Yeah. But that's good growth as well, you know. I mean, it's sometimes hard to see that within ourselves. But just hearing the story, dude, I mean, that's that's massive growth. Not one of my questions, but uh, what sort of books do you like to read? What's your go-to?
1: Man, I read whatever comes my way. This year's been slower for me. Um, let me see. I just well, oh, you know what? Lately, I've been like, I don't know if this is good or bad. I've been I I tended to avoid music biographies for a while, but I think now, as I'm getting back into, like, I want to I want to make something. Yet. I don't want to make something again. So there's two books. One was called Please Kill Me. That was, but actually, both of these are. Um, no, that's not true. One is an oral history. This book, Please Kill Me, is an oral history, which is about the uh, like the first punk bands, so like the New York Dolls, the Velvet Underground, the Talking Heads, and then later it sort of gets into some of the, some of the British stuff. But um, it's just about these bands doing ridiculous rock and roll shit in you know when they were twenty years old in the seventies. God, you hear about? I don't know if you have you ever read that book? No, I recommend it. It's a hoot. But man, you read about the shit that they are just openly talking about, and you're like, the things that people lose their careers and lose their jobs for now is like, you know, it's like, oh, I was inappropriately DMing with a fan or something like that. And
0: these yeah.
1: guys are like, there's one, there's one, I don't, I, don't, I won't delve too far into, it, but it is, it's wild, it's wild. So um, I read that, I really enjoyed it because actually those were a lot of the bands I never dug too far into the hardcore thing, but when I was sort of at the end of high school like one of my favorite bands to this day is the velvet underground um that was like my brother i have a brother is three years older than me and uh and and so he was always like while i was you know like sort of like alternative music he liked classic rock and then i got into classic rock and then he was on to sort of like the the cooler sort of like punk david bowie like the earlier proto-punk kind of stuff um and uh, so, and this was about those bands. So to me, it was a throwback. I was like, like, like the Iggy and the Stooges and David Bowie and the New York Dolls and bands that I hadn't listened to, honestly, in a while. Um, so this was a throwback to that. And then, so I finished that and then took the next logical transition. A friend of mine named Max Bernstein, who plays guitar for a million different artists, um, he's on tour with Taylor Swift. He's the one who I went to go see when they rolled through Mexico City. He recommended this book called Our Band Could Be Your Life. And it sort of was like the next chapter after that, it's one chapter at a time about different bands. And it starts with sort of like 80s hardcore bands, like so Black Flag and Minor Threat and the Minutemen. And it's sort of like, it goes from there. And it, it does get to like Sonic Youth and R.E.M. and the more indie bands. But, um, so yeah, I don't know if it's good to be reading. And then, and then my therapist recommended this book called Anger by the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. So, um... I, I read whatever comes my way. I do usually like to pepper in one sort of just like fluffy, um, non-fiction uh, book. I usually, I usually like to bounce back and forth between fiction and non-fiction. Um, but, yeah, honestly, whatever whatever comes my way. That's awesome. You got anything good you've been
0: reading? You know, I'm busy reading this Elvis Presley book. Um, it's called, um, it's not Last Train to Memphis. The guy wrote two. He wrote two and they super fat books. I mean this book's taking me forever. And I read, man. Like but this book, it's like the smallest print and the the fattest book. And so it's taking me forever. But it's really fascinating. I find the colonel super fascinating. The guy who managed Elvis. He's he's a very fascinating character. And I've read a few books about him over the years. And this book, you know, it's more about Elvis, but every now and then it it throws in these little things and it's like I know that most people would hate me for saying it, but I really feel as much as he potentially screwed Elvis over, I also don't personally believe that Elvis would have had the career he had without the colonel. And I know that that's super maybe controversial, but dude, that guy, there, there was something very fascinating about him. I mean, like he, he invented marketing strategies that didn't exist, and like I know that that's not necessarily the music, but that's what the music business has become. I mean, if if it wasn't for merchandise and PR and now with social media, some of the uh, the kind of gimmicky things that people do to keep their careers, I mean, think how many people go become artists because of TikTok videos now. It's like so. It's like I, I really feel like the kernel, you know, and and I. I, I I get that he might have been a murderer that was on the run and very controversial stuff, but like fascinating character. But yeah, I love reading, man. I read anything, but that's what I'm busy reading at the moment. I can't remember what the name, I think it's called the undoing of Elvis or something, but it's, oh, it's fat dude. It's like, it's going to (laughs) take me months, you know? Um, Alex, what for you personally do you think has been the hardest part about being a musician or at least trying to have music as a career?
1: Oh, um, you know, I do think the thing that I felt victim to, which is I think if you kind of don't know, because I don't want to dissuade someone from having a really specific view of what they want. Um, I think that in some ways that's important because it keeps you motivated and I think it keeps you driven towards a goal to not have it just be, you know. Uh, for me I would I never did the event band thing you know and it's not because I have any judgment about it at all um, it's just because my logic was if what I'm doing is getting up and playing cover songs then like it doesn't feel I was always in it to do something that felt more creative as opposed to just be playing and I felt like they like I could probably just find something else to do with my life you know um, like if it's just about making money, then I could probably just find something else that would be more stable. Like music is a bitch. It's really hard. You know, even if you had a successful event band, you know, uh, I don't know, like the singer runs off with the bass player, you know, and now the event band broke up and whatever. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden you're back to square one. It's just not the most stable. Music is not the most stable of industries. So if it's only, a money-making tool, then I'm like, well, I probably should have just gone to law school or something, you know, and, like, Mm. had had a regular person's career where I know that I'm going to show up and I'm going to get paid a certain amount and I'm going to do my job and be good at my job and that's the end of it. Um, That just sounded like a lot of disparaging comments about a lot of other careers. Not not at
0: all. Not at all.
1: (laughs) um, But, uh, but. No, I really do think that the big thing is to be able to look big picture and decide if what you're doing is... Like, is it it where you want to be? Is it not where you want to be? If it's not where you want to be, what steps can you take to sort of put yourself where you do want to be? Because it's a really different thing. My friends who are writers, they sit and grind at writing the same way I sit and grind and make sure that I meet, you know, every person I can meet who does the touring thing, whatever. It's the same. It's about... Meeting people, honing your skills, making the connections you need to make, building the skill set you need to build. Um, and so sort of decide, I think, decide what you want to do and go that route. And it was the hardest thing for me was accepting that the path that I originally envisioned was not the path that I ended up on. Um, and that sort of fighting against reality, I think, where I was so hell bent. like I said, I, I, I got... The thing that beat me up the most was I was playing for, uh, you know, at arenas for thousands of people and I felt like a failure and nobody else in my life saw me as a failure. You know, I was like, I'm going to go back to my high school reunion and they're going to think I'm this washed up loser because I'm playing in the shadows and it, my band never did anything or whatever. And it's like, first of all, nobody else gives that much of a shit about what's going on in my life. They're leading their lives and trying to figure out if they're a failure or not. And second of all, the way that I view my life or the way we view our life sometimes is not the most accurate. And I think it's very easy to get bogged down in, like, I thought I was going to be the next David Bowie, and I wasn't, and so therefore everything sucks. If that's where I was going to stay, then I should just leave altogether and find that other job and go, you know, open up a coffee shop in Zimbabwe or whatever, and maybe that would be more fulfilling and I'd be removed far from the industry that scorned me and didn't treat me the way I wanted to. But otherwise, I think it's important to sort of have a look and go, wow, well, actually, I'm doing pretty cool things that enable me to lead a lifestyle. Like, here I am in the middle of a Monday talking to you. Cool. After this, I'm going to get up and walk my dog for an hour and go get a cup of coffee. You know, like, cool. Not bad.
0: Not bad, dude.
1: Not bad at all. So I, I honestly think the hardest challenge in the music industry has been my own brain. The thing that's been my own doing, undoing most of the time. Like I said, it was my own brain that like led to me writing music that I wasn't proud of. It wasn't a creative rut. It wasn't the lack of the ability to write something that I cared about. It was that I started obsessing about what was going to work and what was going to make me successful and what was the image going to be and all these things. For some people, that really works, by the way, like for, like mm. you said, the marketing thing. I mean, like they think they like create this much content. They do it. They release it every Thursday at 10 a.m. Or whatever, and that works for them. It didn't work for me. And it made me unhappy. And it resulted in art that I didn't feel proud of. Um, so that was sort of undoing. Number one was I lost my way in terms of what am, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And then undoing number two was just the complete lack of perspective of where I actually was at and the the inability to be happy with what life had given me, which was pretty, pretty cool, pretty cool. But, you know, I was too busy just obsessing over whatever 13 year old me had wanted. So honestly, those have been the biggest challenges have been weathering the storm, not actually of the external circumstances, which were always, I was really lucky, man. I really was really lucky. And since I've started working I haven't stopped working. You know, when I've left one gig, another gig has popped up. Like, I'm really lucky. That's not true for everybody. And I'm aware now that I am really lucky. But the things that have been the most challenging have less been circumstantial and less been external and more just been like, how do I wrestle with my own brain and see yeah. things, frankly, for what they really are? Because, yeah. you know, life's all right if you're willing to look at it that way. But if yeah. you're obsessed with, like, yeah, you know, it should have gone this way, then it's a it's a really miserable way to end up.
0: Yeah. I wonder if maybe there's a correlation between, you know, because you're not the first person to, to talk about these types of things with me. And, and I sometimes wonder, if you think about, and I don't know what your formal years of practice, intuition, and all that were really like, only you would know. But when I think back to those days for myself personally – I think as a musician, and again, it might be stereotyping, but I think we form such hard – we're so hard on ourselves, right? We're practicing something. We're learning a new scale or something, right? And we get it wrong 10,000 times. And then we start to get it right and we go, oh, but it's still not as good as so-and-so plays it. And so you practice it some more and then you get it as good as that and you go, oh, but it's not as good as this guy plays it. And it's like it's never good enough, right? Right? So, maybe there's like a, a relation between that and then our real-life situations. Because, you know, we have these visions of, oh, man, you know, uh, Rick James had this incredible mansion of a couple hits. And uh, I I can write hits. And, and you, you, you don't get the mansion. And you go like, ah oh, dude, you know, maybe my hits weren't hits and they suck. And, you know, maybe it's this vicious circle but maybe, and, and I just thought of it now, so I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here, but maybe there's like deep-rooted kind of conditions of practice because it's like, you know, I know lots of people who aren't musicians and I talk to my wife about it all the time. It's like some of them seem so happy, you know, and, and, and I don't mean that in like a I'm not happy kind of way. I'm happy, but I don't know. I, I just always want more. You know and it's like even when i get the get the best thing i'm like i want more it's like it's and so like i'm i'm at this point in my own life where it's like i'm trying to be like you know this is perfect like where this is right now it's perfect and trying to be in the moment more versus like constantly thinking like well if i do this as an artist or a, a writer or a musician maybe this could then take me here and and it's like Maybe that's the whole, maybe maybe I'm just doing it wrong, you know, but I'm just thinking out loud, really. I wonder if there's a, like, maybe there's like a DNA strand that connects all these things, you know?
1: I think that there is both good and bad to the thing that drives us to constantly punish ourselves. I think that it is worthwhile, and the thing that keeps you in the practice room for hours and hours and hours, doing the same thing over and over, and having the patience to suck at it, knowing that you're going to be good at it in five years from now or whatever, you know, I don't think it is possible to succeed. I don't think it's possible to become really good, let alone great as a musician, unless you have that thing that basically is like, you need to keep doing this or else you won't be enough. So it's not always the most pleasant voice because I I talked about this with my friends. I remember even way back in college because like, my friends who were studying business, they probably had more like homework than I did. But after class was done, they're done, man. You know, it was like, they weren't sitting and thinking about their their like whatever accounting class. And with us, it was like, I could still be practicing more. Like there is no done. I could have practiced another hour today. I could get in, you know, workshopping this technique or, or, or this, you know, solo I'm learning or whatever. You could always be doing it. And that is something that as long as you want to be pursuing music, I think you can live with that as guilt, you know? Um, the, The thing that has been sort of freeing to me over time is twofold. One, with regards to like, maybe my hits weren't good enough thing. I remember when my band was working on stuff, and there was this band that we played with in New York called Soundtrack. And they were... Dude, I thought they were awesome. They sounded great. They looked great. Their demo was produced by the same guy who produced The Strokes' first two records. They just had everything, and I was certain. I was like, this band is gonna be huge. And they weren't huge. Nothing happened to them. Like, nobody found out about them, nobody cared about them, and they broke up. And I still listen to their one shitty EP or whatever. I still listen to it, you know, almost 20 years later now. And I was like, it was helpful for me to see that I thought this band was great and it didn't matter. Like, a lot, of, that, that's not the only band. There was this band called the Harlem Shakes. It was the same, same thing, New York thing. They were amazing. They had all the right opportunities. Their album I thought was awesome. Just nothing happened, man, because sometimes, who knows? Who knows whether it's the timing, the manager, that you didn't say yes to this gig, you did say yes to this gig, and you missed this. Who knows what it is? But things just don't happen for everybody who like deserves it and it was helpful for me to see bands where i was like but i know that band's good and they're not doing well so maybe it's not about scale or having the delivering the right product maybe just sometimes stuff just doesn't work there's a really cool documentary on this um, band from the 70s called big star on netflix that now they're like super critically beloved everybody loves them they're one of my favorite bands but at the time they came out, it was the same. Everyone in the industry loved them. Everybody knew they were awesome and nobody gave a shit. It just didn't work for them and it's not because they weren't making great music. And then the other really helpful thing for me because I was always convinced that I'm like, I'm not shred guy, right? So I go see guys who can do this insane technical stuff and I'm like, man, I'm never going to get the gig because like guys like that exist. And then I started getting gigs and I was like, just It's my Neil Young thing that I started off with, you know, that I was like, I will listen to a Neil Young solo before I will listen to a Van Halen solo. It's just my personal taste. And I'm not the only person on earth who gravitates towards this type of taste versus that type of taste. And just knowing the two things that the sort of footnotes within that one are that I was getting work even though I wasn't Shred guy. So just like do your thing is what I would say to somebody else. Do your thing and be happy and be confident in your thing. And just know that like I can't do the shred thing, but somebody else isn't gonna do my thing, you know? I do something, and thank God it seems like enough folks have wanted that, that they're willing to throw me some cash to do my thing, you know? And the other thing was, I remember there was a guitar player in LA who I knew of and was always like, man, if I could play like that guy, then I don't know what I thought. The whole world would open up to me and whatever. And I finally met him through friends and we went out and got coffee and he spent the whole time talking about how, man, and I'm not this guy and I lost this gig to this guy. And I was like, oh, so there is no level at which you think you're the guy, no matter where you're at. And no matter how many people see you and think you're the guy, you're looking at this guy and at this guy and you're bitter because you didn't get this. So same thing. I was like, if you want to be grateful for what you have and confident in what you have to offer and to accept that if you didn't get this gig, it doesn't mean you suck. If you didn't get this hit song, it doesn't mean you suck. Like that's a a reality that you can live in. Just that some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. And the thing that I have to offer is worthwhile. That's one version of reality. And the other version is, man, I wrote this song and it was great, but it didn't do as well as that guy's song. And my friend wrote this and it's only because he's friends with this guy and if only he would blah, 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 and I'm not that player and this player got that. Like there's always two versions that you can live in at any level. And some version of, like, I want to be at that level. I want to be either at that level of success or that level of playing or musicianship or whatever. I think that's an amazing drive to keep. And it's the thing that keeps me practicing to this day after nearly 30 years of guitar, still practicing. But it doesn't mean that I wake up in the morning hating myself. And that, I think, is more important.
0: That's a good place to be. Um, yeah. Alex, last question, buddy. Um, was there ever a piece of advice that maybe somebody gave you or you received or you maybe learnt along the way that you feel has been really helpful for you as a musician another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear? check breakfast, lunch and dinner? check planning for what's next and how to save for it? that's where Bank of America can help for your financial to-dos Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: You know, there was never any... It's funny. The answer was sort of embedded in the only piece of advice I think I've ever gotten, which is when... I don't even remember. It was like my band had made our album. Nothing had happened. We hadn't done the music video yet. You know, I was trying to get it to like this label guy and that label guy. And um, I remember we sent it to this small label called Ace Foo Records and they didn't pay attention to it. And I was heartbroken. And I was like, I guess this means our album must suck. And I remember uh, like... I don't even remember how we got connected to this guy. It was like a friend of a friend of a friend who ran his own label. And he took the time to get together with me. And he said, listen, this isn't for me, but it doesn't mean that it's not for everybody. And it doesn't mean that it's not good. It's just not for me right now. And I was like, cool. And I left that thinking, okay, that means it's not good and it's not for everybody. And the the lesson that I sort of learned over time is exactly the thing that I ended with just before, which was, the same people who ignored that that album that we couldn't get a crowd for that that label ace foo just like the tiny new york label that doesn't even exist anymore but for me was like oh my god if only they would like our record we released that music video it got behind some eyes and then literally a month later we're sitting with the guys at ace foo and i said but we sent you our record like you know 6 months ago it didn't what and he said, we get sent records all the time. I didn't even listen to it. It's like he was <laughs> not even know he gotten. I think it is really easy to let what could easily be perceived as failures lead one to believe, like, this must mean that I am not good, that somebody else is good, and I am not good, and therefore I should stop. And the more sort of information that you can collect and store away for yourself as just sort of like proof points of data that, in fact, like I said, there are going to be bands that you like that, man, that band made a record and for some reason the record didn't do well. Or that you thought of your own thing That you were like, oh, you know, I, I didn't get this audition and therefore I suck and whatever. And then what do you know if you stick with it five years later, you audition for the same musical director, you end up getting the gig because he liked your haircut better that time or whatever it was. Like, I think making it less personal and less a condemnation and less sort of like, If I do badly at this, I will never succeed. And or I think getting caught up in the like the obsessive. This is my big break. And if I miss this opportunity, then something my my experience is that none of that shit is true, is that if you care about making music, just keep making music. If you have any indication that you're actually any good at it, just keep doing it, you know. And like the thing that you do, eventually the right person, if it's meant to be, will will be there, you know, to check it out and provide you with the platform that you need. And if not, frankly, that still doesn't mean that it's not worthwhile, you know. Like yeah. if you make a song and one person really digs that song and they play it as their, you know, first wedding dance or whatever, then that's more than most of us accomplish in this world, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it is just important to not get bogged down with the narrative that comes so easily, the sort of like, I'm not as good as this guy, I didn't get this audition and therefore that must mean that I suck. This other guy keeps getting all these gigs, why does he have four gigs and I have no gigs? It's just really an easy rabbit hole to fall down and it doesn't lead to anything good career-wise and it certainly doesn't lead to anything good, like I said, when I wake up in the morning I don't feel good about myself. So I think like hanging on to some level of idealism as you continue to improve and practice and get better and work on your craft, figure out where you can improve, figure out what holes you need to plug and you know, what what needs to get better. Do all those things and also just do it because you care because it's like too brutal to fall into the like various failures that where everybody is going to suffer. Everybody's going to mm-hmm. suffer and if you take those as the signs that I was right. I've never been good, you know, then it's, it's too brutal. Go find another line of work. Go find another work that's not going to punish you all the time. You know?
0: Yeah, I agree. Alex Fedder, dude, that was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, I can't wait to get the sat. I'm sure everyone's going to get loads from it. I know I did. Um, dude, can't thank you enough, man. Thank
1: you. This was a pleasure. I appreciate it, man.
0: Peace sweet there we go as usual i'd like to thank each and every one of you who are listening for your time i'd like to thank alex for his time make sure you check him out man seriously cool dude just highly inspirational uh my name is travis mark you can find out more about me at TravisMark.com, or you can check out the musicians-mentor.com site um I know I said in the beginning of every episode, I'm going to continue saying it until those ratings improve. Please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. Got some excellent guests coming up. Guests like Alex, um, who once again, I'd like to say thanks to. That's it for today. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Peace.